Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words I give to you today are to be written on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So as we were saying to the kids, what we say and how we say it matters. Makes me think of a story told about Leo Tolstoy. As the story goes, one day Tolstoy was walking down the street, passed by a beggar and he reached into his pocket because he wanted to give something and found that his pocket was empty. And looking at the man, Tolstoy said, I'm so sorry, my brother, I have nothing to give you. And then to his great surprise, the beggar brightened and said, you gave me more than I could have ever asked for. 
You called me your brother. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes it's just a single word. A single word that puts respect or dignity back into a situation. And here's the interesting thing. We as people of faith give away dignity and respect whether people deserve it or not. We don't decide whether somebody gets dignity and respect. Because we believe in a God who has made every single person with inherent value. Words, words, they mean something. They matter. They point to what it is that we believe about the world and reality and life. So I could spend a whole bunch of time talking about that and trying to offer some coaching. But let me just say a couple things that I think are really informed by this text this morning. I think this text assumes that each one of us would focus or emphasize our words and infuse them with something like grace. Rather than the alternative. Right? That there is a gift inside of life. There is a benevolent universe. And we have chosen, we have chosen each day when we wake up to use that kind of language and share that kind of language. I see you and I believe in you. I think the next thing I think we would choose language that reveals our commitment to understanding and empathy, which I guess is a cousin of grace. But every study on dialogue, the art of dialogue, how we talk and listen to each other, says one of the primary purposes of that kind of exchange is understanding. Understanding with empathy. So when you talk to me and I listen to you, I am committed to understanding you on a deeper level. Not dismissing you. Not judging you. Understanding you on a deeper level. That that requires a curious mind, right? It also requires a lot of practice. I'm going to ask questions. But that's the kind of language that matters in our relationships. Language of grace. Language of understanding and empathy. I think the only other thing I want to say as a general comment about the language, our intentions, the language we use, is that our words should carry the weight of reasonable expectation and accountability. Most of you have read the four agreements. It says, may your word be impeccable. Now, none of us do that all the time. But 
implicit in there is that we can speak. We can speak with clarity and integrity. And when we fall short of clarity and integrity, we can push ourselves. We can do better. We can do our best. So that each one of us keeps getting better. So this text this morning, you know, love the Lord your God with all your strength and all your soul is really a starting point. It's a platform. It is a thing that we internalize so that we can show up and listen and talk to each other in a particular kind of way, which actually then changes everything. And to not do that is, not, is to not be a co-creator with God. It is to be something less than that. It's to cheapen language. It's to cheapen words, which we do all the time. So, those are my general comments. Rob took some of my preaching time. Um, <laughs> was, that wasn't very nice of him. <laughs> but all kidding aside, I, I, I do want to stop for a second and, and switch gears and pivot and talk about the power of poetry which is a, is a different kind of language and, and truly, I think, a gift from the divine. It was one of Mitch's great legacies at Talmud Hill. He always had a poem in his, in his back pocket. It was this amazing gift he shared with this community. It's a treasure that he left with many of us. And it's funny because, I, I don't know, I think Cliff was in the same boat don't let me speak for you, Cliff, but I hear, I hear people or heard people say, I hated poetry. I don't know if I hated it, but I just didn't get it. Somehow I didn't have the, the patience or maybe I just didn't yet have the imagination, which is critical to stay with a word, to stay with a phrase, to stay with an image and let it sit with you. Let something bubble up in you that speaks to you. And by some grace, that has changed because I, I now love poetry. I seek it out. And I think I appreciate its transformational potential. I love what the Irish author and poet, poet John O'Donohue says. Some of you may know O'Donohue. But listen, listen to these words. <clears throat> the poet wants to drink from the well of origin. To write the poem that has not yet been written in order to enter this level of originality. The poet must reach beyond the chorus of chattering voices that people the surface of a culture. It's a great line. Furthermore, the poet must reach deeper inward, go deeper than the private horde of voices down to the root voice. 
It is here that individuality has the taste of danger, vitality, and vulnerability. It's another great line. What's a good poem do? It takes you closer to danger and vitality and vulnerability. Here, the creative has the necessity of inevitability. This is the threshold where imagination engages raw, unformed experience. This is the sense you have when you read a true poem. You know it could not be other than it is. Itself and its form are one. Now, what kind of world would we live in if we didn't have that gift? Unbelievably diminished. Poetry has the taste of danger and vitality and vulnerability. It opens the door to something beyond what we find right in front of us, while also trying to make some sense of it. It brings to us curious music. It inspires the imagination. It ignites the soul. When I think of poetry and its transformational power, I always go back to my favorite film, Il Postino. Incredible Italian film. If you have not seen Il Postino, I could not recommend it any more highly. It's based on true events. It's, it's set in Italy and the... Uh, South American poet, the Chilean poet Pablo Neruda has been exiled and he ends up in Italy. And it's the story of a shy postman who gets the job of delivering mail to Pablo Neruda. And what catches his imagination initially is that Pablo is getting letter after letter after letter from women all over the world. And he's thinking, I need some more of that. (laughs) And then it's the story of their friendship and a friendship that empowers him, brings him to life, gives him the language to attract the most beautiful woman in the village. But it's a story about much, much more than that. It's about a way of seeing the world. Here's what one film critic says, maybe just to tease you into going and getting the film. But this critic uh, summarizes the essence of the film in this way. He says, in this beautiful story, poetry, arguably literature's most accomplished form, represents something like magic to Mario the postman. It awakens his dormant sensibilities. It allows him to name things and to name what is beyond things. Mario, whose father is illiterate, begins to realize that the physical world is dynamic and that he didn't know anything about it. Having a novice's innocence, he asked the question that recurs throughout the film. 
You remember what the question was? What is metaphor? And what is a world without metaphor? That beautiful, pregnant part of speech, figure of speech, which enriches thought by hiding a first meaning in favor of a hidden meaning so that we can create. Mario breathes the air of God's and is transfigured. He invents images without even knowing it. And so we learn as we did in The Little Prince. It is only with the heart that one can see rightly. And so I'm here today to say that we are the carriers of, I think, an incredible legacy. The gift of poetry, which has been present and is present in every spiritual tradition. Poetry is buried in our sacred literature. Poetry is a gateway. It is a portal. It is a priceless way of seeing reality and going deeper. So some people might ask, well, what does it look like? I'm going to give you one example. In a piece by Billy Collins. You guys know Billy? Billy's good. This piece is called Another Reason Why I Don't Keep a Gun in the House. That sounds like Billy Collins to me. But listen, this is this is this has got a lot of layers to it. The neighbor's dog will not stop barking. He is barking the same high rhythmic bark that he barks every time they leave the house. They must switch him on on their way out. The neighbor's dog will not stop barking. I close all the windows in the house and put on a Beethoven symphony full blast. But I can still hear him muffled under the music, barking, barking, barking. Ah, but now I can see him sitting in the orchestra. His head raised confidently as if Beethoven had included a part for a barking dog. When the record finally ends, he's still barking, sitting there in the oboe section, barking, his eyes fixed on the conductor who is entreating him with his baton, while the other musicians listen in respectful silence to the famous barking dog solo, that endless coda that first established Beethoven as an innovative genius. Poetry changes how you see things. How you're able to see things. How does the barking dog fit? How does everything fit?
Remove the distractions. Slow down the pace. Let poetry speak through you. It is a great, great gift. Amen. canyons and pine mountains. Inside this clay jug is the maker of canyons and pine mountains. All seven oceans are inside and hundreds of millions of stars the acid for testing gold is there and the one who judges jewels and the music from the strings no one touches and the source of all water inside this clay jug there are canyons and pine mountains and the maker of canyons and pine mountains if you want the truth i will tell you the truth friends listen the God whom I love, the God whom I love is inside.